the opinions expressed on this show are solely those of Jeremy Hinks and Stinky Jazz Podcast and do not necessarily reflect those of anyone else on this planet. Hello and good day, everybody. Welcome to Sticky Jazz. I'm Jeremy Hanks, the man of a million musical opinions. All of mine happen to be correct. And uh, so we're kicking off the Pride Month. We're actually partway through it. And a uh, shout out to all you wonderful LGBTQ brothers and sisters and everything in between. Uh, we love you, respect you, and uh, fly your flag high this month. Be proud. Uh, also, along with that, we are pumping for, we're plugging for this amazing product called Wunderkeks. They're a cookie bakery company, LGBTQ couple, and uh, they are yeah, out of Texas. They're partnered with Love Loud. Their proceeds from these special Love Loud cookie sales go to assist the young LGBTQ community and the, the despondent youth who are in need of help. So if you want to give them a shout or just a look, see, and some terribly addictive, very powerful fridge cookies, uh, go look them up, wunderkeks.com, W-U-N-D-E-R-K-E-K-S.com, and uh, just try them out. They're amazing. Also, if you could please just consider supporting us, at uh, patreon.com forward slash sticky jazz. Any little bit helps. Even a $5 uh, donation of support will help us running, get keep running and getting better and bigger as we go along. So this week we have the singer, jazz singer Aaron Myers out of Washington, D.C. He is a veteran, he is a bisexual politician activist. And he also has his own radio show down there in Washington, D.C. And this is what he calls the Pride Album that we're featuring. The guy's an amazing musician, I'm telling you. If you like jazz and just gnarly good smooth vocals, this guy has it. He has quite a story to tell as well. With uh, We have some funny jokes to discuss in this conversation. So, everybody, let's all sit back and do the sticky jazz. And this is... How Can I by Aaron Myers from the Pride Album. I'm feeling every day How can I begin to tell The hurt that I've grown to know so well Visions of my brothers dying 
Sounds of all my sisters crying Mothers who are stripped away Fathers who won't come home one day How can I begin to fight All the injustice and make it right How can I walk out that door When maybe I'll return no more Echoes of a people yearning Tales of countless visions burning Hope and change forever fleeting on our knees, our hearts keep beating. Fists held high above the madness. While feet are marching, fueled with sadness. Tears are flowing and flood the river. With promises we need delivered. How can I begin to say what we all know? Won't go away How can I Sit still at night When for my children I need to fight Tell me Okay, everybody, welcome to Sticky Jazz. I'm Jeremy Hanks here in the Sticky Jazz studios in Salt Lake. And right across the internet from me, I've got Aaron Myers in Washington, D.C. Say good day, Aaron. Good day. How are you? Oh, hey, we're we're back at it. We've we've uh, played a little hopscotch there to get to where we are. And uh, I'm, I'm glad we're we're. I'm glad we're reconvening. This is great. Um, Absolutely. Especially now that I got the new record because I had already dug into the old stuff and loved it. And then I'd been waiting for this album to come out, which did between our between last conversation and now, which is a very, very good album. I, I finally got to listen to the whole thing because uh, I, I got the sampler last yes. time. That's and right. So now I, I got the whole thing, and it's a definite winner, man. I I love this one. So, oh, thank you, thank you. I hope you had a chance to see the visual album too. I have the not really actually. Okay. I haven't gone through that. I've, I again, I've seen your other videos, but not this one. So, oh yes, I we wanted with this. We've gotten some pretty good reviews. We were able to. I, I find I'm very proud as an independent artist for us to be able to uh, get up to number four on the iTunes charts uh, on release day. Uh, and uh, today there was a downbeat article that came out. And if anybody knows anything about jazz, um, downbeat is our um, 
our Bible almost. So it was so good to have uh, some coverage from from them today, which I'm very happy uh, about. And um, I'm not sure if there's any basketball fans out there, but if uh, you get a chance on Memorial Day, I'll be doing the national anthem for the Wizards and their playoff, the round one playoff um, uh, as well. So that I'm, I'm very excited. But the visual album, I'll get an opportunity to screen that uh, on Juneteenth, actually, at the Eaton Hotel here in Washington, D.C. Fire that up, and, man. Juneteenth. Yeah, let oh, it live, yes. man. And we will have the Center for Black Equity there to do a uh, a, a uh, uh, talk back with me. And we're looking at the intersection of advocacy, blackness, and queerness, uh, especially uh, advocating for black rights uh, during Pride Month uh, in that gay space. Um, so often... Uh, people feel that we've over. I, w- I was reminded by a good friend, uh, councilwoman uh, uh, back in Texas, who said, reminded me that the song simply stated that we shall overcome, not we have overcome. And so, even in that realm, we're doing the same thing. That's how I feel right now. So much that we've uh, we we almost, you know, we 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 thought we'd cleared a lot. We thought we had cleared a lot, but. Um... We we haven't gone as far as we thought, but your your neighbor got evicted. I'm glad to hear about that. Yes, um, um, uh, people tried to help him move. Um, <laughs> I, I know that people brought boxes and were just excited uh, to know that we would be getting a new occupant and that his lease had run out. And and his welcome as well. Yes. Well, I I I, I fear that his lease. Uh, was extended a bit longer than his welcome. Um, I think he had worn out his welcome a, a, a bit earlier. But you know, even even to that, I, the day of the inauguration, I watched it from bed because for those people who've been advocating uh, and using their music to stri- to speak truth to power for the last four years, it's been like we've been holding the line uh, for so long. And the morning of his inauguration, I am not ashamed to admit that I was exhausted. I was simply exhausted and I was not um, so much as happy that someone else was there in office, but I just needed a breather um, from hope. I just needed to know that there was at least a competent person um, who was appointing competent people uh, in office so that we could then use the skill sets that we had to really address through our art and through our advocacy, uh, some, some problems that, we know there are real solutions to, um, but it just, I was just exhausted. I don't think that um, w- those who have lived in a, as an adult um, and as an empathizing um, uh, adult will forget the last four years that we've, that we've endured. Well, I, uh, I, I, I've said this before, right? I, 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 I did a face palm about 99% of the time during that last four years. Uh, the, the the previous eight, it was probably about 40% of the time I was going, what the hell's he doing? You know, um, fair enough, right? Uh, and I feel I, I'll be probably doing the same thing for the next with, with Biden, you know. It's- Which you should. Which you should. I think... I think people tend to, if you vote for someone or if you support someone or if you are uh, in good hopes of someone who enters office, um, it's not my responsibility to agree 100% of the time with them. It is uh, We are human. And 
Um, we're watching them skin the cat with a list of 99 other ways in our hands of how to skin the same cat. So, um, yes, yeah, there, there are things. Um, so for I, I question, um, I question uh, his um, uh, administration's um, urgency with what's happening in immigration and on the border. Um, I question it. I, I wish he would do more. Um, and I, I, I do wish uh, that he would have uh, come out sooner with some plan uh, for both uh, Palestine and Israel. Uh, I do wish that he would have uh, uh, come out somewhat more forcibly about his infrastructure plans um, and he would be more, um, how can I put it, more straightforward about uh, his expectations of these negotiating factors uh, with people who may or may not really want to, in good faith, negotiate with him. So I, I, there are some spaces in which I am, I do question and I have problems, but I tell you they pale in comparison over what I had to deal with. Well, so some of the here, okay, r- real quick. Um, this is the text that I got from my lawyer, by the way. Um, you know, my lawyer, the guy that I talked about. And I, I rolled you off as having a nice Ray Charles vibe in there. And his uh, response was, no, you remember I said that because you, you weren't trying, but you had that. Yeah, and right. It was, it was yeah. appreciated. It was wonderful. And he came back and says, I don't think Meyer sounds like Ray Charles. I think it's more McCoy Tyner meets Leslie <laughs> Odom meets the Reverend William Barber. Oh, there we go. That's, yeah, not, so that, that that's his opinion. That's a compliment. I can deal with that. Oh, oh yeah, that. I know. I agree. I was like, well, okay. But he's, he, he, again, I gave him everything of yours and we, we bounced ideas back and forth, but he was, uh, that was where he came back with. And I was, but I, I still stand by my statement of there were several moments on that album that had some great Ray Charles spirit and vibe to it. And uh, I was that that was what I sold it to him on. And he came back with, again, you know, everybody's got their opinions on what you're going to be influenced with. But um, it was it was really good. Oh, Ray Charles has always been a a huge uh, influence on me, but also all of the gentlemen he also named off are in influence and uh, Reverend Barber, especially. Yeah, so, uh, well, okay, back when we were talking about Winter Ray, right? Yes. And you had a good, like, you you were able to grab, you had that Chuck Mangione feel to it, but it was on the the sax and the trumpet, obviously, but you you were able to pull from these older styles that are just good to hear again that we haven't heard, I wouldn't say properly, but well enough in quite some time so when i started hearing those pieces again i was like man you know you take me back to i remember i was four years old listening to chuck mangione on the radio driving around in the car uh, you know with my dad and just going wow this is really cool and then i I went right back to that just how your your sax was delivered in there so thank you indeed thank you indeed i i know that when i think of instrumentals i always think of something that i can whistle to in a sense uh, or something. And it was uh, on the current record, we had the return to Spain, uh, which was the uh, ode to uh, Chick Corea, who, who just died, of course. And uh, a gentleman, I uh, he was listening to it. And before I knew it, he was whistling the song uh, toward the end, which is always my goal. Uh, 
actually, that was what I wanted to talk to you about. Return to Spain. I was listening to that one uh, this morning on the exercise bike. And you were going kind of bonkers on the piano on that one. Um, but uh, you, you did mention that before as well, that that was what you're pushing for with this. And talk about that one, because that was just a really fun, very fun, vibrant, you know, just kind of kicking away piece there. Well, you know, Spain, the original um, by uh, by Chick Corea, it was a song that um, really, I would say, always uh, put me in a very good space. And so um, on my second album, I covered it with the uh, lyrics that Al Jarreau had done. And ironically, when I had gone, the first time I went to the Grammys, um, it was the morning that Al Jarreau died. He had oh, been scheduled to come okay, to Washington, right, and I yeah. was in, I was in the black car heading to the Staples Center, and the announcement came across the airwaves that Al Jarreau had passed away, which completely, for those people in the jazz world, it completely shattered us. And fortunately, of course, pre-COVID, we were all there at the Staples Center, able to love on each other in that moment. He was scheduled to be in Washington uh, not too long after that, actually, but uh, when. I used to live in a, a apartment uh, that had a baby grand downstairs, and I would often play that as I walked past a little bit of Spain. And I thought about it one day as to, I wonder if if Spain was a conversation, how would one reply back to it? And when you reply back to any statement, uh, usually you're you're talking about the same subject matter to a degree, uh, but there is some tinge of uh, recapping, in a sense, what you've heard so that you may offer your own take on it. And that's what I hoped uh, I could offer with uh, Return to Spain. So if anybody's listened to Spain, they'll hear elements, but it's not Spain. It's a return. It's a response to that particular song. And it's meant, as far as its placement in the album, to offer a a, a bit of what they would call light fare. You know, light fare, because even through all of the stuff we go through, we do enjoy a little light fare from from time to time. I, I'm reminded of uh, the documentaries of uh, the coal miners, and there was always a watering hole, a space that after they left that grueling hard work, sometimes still covered in blackness, uh, they would go and enjoy a drink at the pub or something of that nature for a little bit of levity, a little light fare. And that's what I hope this song would offer. And that's what it always offered to me. Okay. Well, I, I was going to say, because was that freestyled piano? Because it felt like that. It felt like you guys are all kind of like playing off of each other uh, oh, yes. for, for for a lot of it there without trying to like say, hey, I'm going completely improv. But you guys were kind of freestyling off each other like that. That was what well, I. Yeah. yeah. For, for Return to Spain, I know we, we did a lot of we we went completely free uh, in uh, New Jim Crow. Mm-hmm. We went completely free in New Jim Crow. Oh, yeah. um, you, you didn't pull any punches on that one either, by the way. But yeah. go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so we went completely like just out there. We wanted to, uh, we wanted that to represent the organized chaos mm-hmm. that happens in uh, what happens when the unfortunate incident of a, a failed police stop happens, and then with Monin, we uh, decided to do a different interpretation of what free was incorporating some elements from the black church. Uh, that was something that we wanted to implement there. And then with Spain, 
being that we all, um, and ironically, we had been rehearsing that return to Spain uh, and I was on my radio show on uh, PFW. And um, th- when we got the message that uh, Chick Corea had died, and I'm, I am probably the first um, um, person, uh, at least um, on the air, to announce uh, the death of uh, uh, Chick Corea. And we immediately, I called uh, Grammy Award winning Ben Williams. He came on the air and we I changed up my entire programming. He uh, They had just announced uh, his passing officially on his website or on on social media that is so um that was um that that was special to us because we had been practicing it and it was always my hope that he himself could hear that response and um when I was preparing to put this album out in 2018 uh that song was going to be on there um uh, but of course depression kept that album from seeing the light of day I could not uh, complete the recording because of um, my mental health at that time. However, I was glad that we were able to get it out as a tribute to him. Sure. Yeah. And and again, you and I talked about, actually, I, I got to let the, the readers understand here. Uh, everybody, Aaron is a bisexual dude from East Texas. He was in the army and grew up playing jazz and he's got a radio show in Washington, DC. Those were things I should have said at the very beginning of the episode. <laughs> so let's get those out of the way. So because we're talking about your radio show, I'm like, oh yeah, I didn't say he's got his own radio show. He's he's got a jazz radio show in Washington, DC. On WPFW, um uh, station's been around since 77. And I've I've been on I've had my show there for about three years now. So I I left that out. I am apologies to everybody on that. Oh, um, so I, I loved the I loved that first record that we had talked about last time. Yes. I was dying to hear the Pride album, and it's it's great. But when you brought up Al Jarreau, I was I remember listening to uh, "Please Take Care of You" for me. I was like, is that like this? He's, is he trying to do Al Jarreau in that one? You know, just that. <laughs> I, I I really felt that in there. I, and I was like, was that his tribute to Al Jarreau or whatever? But it just felt really good. You know, I never, I, 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 until you just mentioned it, I can, as you say that, I can hear the inference to Al Jarreau's Morning, uh, you know, uh, his uh, song Morning, uh, uh, which which is, uh, I, I, I could definitely hear that. You know, Please Take Care of You For Me was written in tribute to a woman, her name was, Carolyn Colbert, and um, she was a friend of mine. And one Sunday after church, she asked for a moment of my time. And in that moment, she expressed to me that her doctor had given her six months to live. And he had done that three months before. And she had done like audio visual work with me for a number of years at our church. And she, we, we together had seen a lot of funerals that just did not go over too well, uh, just practical disasters in a sense. And so she wanted me to sit down with her and her wife and plan out a um, tribute that was be, would be, uh, uh, that would express her, her final wishes in a sense. And so me, her and her wife sat down and we planned out uh, the situation. However, the song that she wanted me to sing um, I was on tour in Russia when she died. Um, I didn't. I was hoping that she would be able to hold on until I got back, but she couldn't. 
And so before, uh, when I got word that she was entering her final stage, um, I sang a song that's called If I Can Help Somebody. Um, it's an old hymn. And I sang that uh, acapella just on my phone so she could hear that uh, before she uh, passed away. And she did. But we were able to fulfill what she wanted to have happen in that final service. And I believe Carolyn would have been pleased. And her parting words to me and to many other people were, please take care of you for me and I'll take care of me for you. Wow. That's a, that's a wonderful story. What a tribute to her as well. Um, but she was there at your church, you said. Uh, yes. It's a, it sounds like it's a very uh, welcoming church. Uh, oh, uh, Talk about it for Covenant. the instinct readers, please. Yes. Covenant Baptist United Church of Christ is a welcoming, affirming, and inclusive uh, church uh, here based in Washington, D.C., um, and the church is, a, 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 I think, a shining testament as to uh, what can happen when you really remove any barriers of stigma when it comes to uh, uh, love in the true sense of the word. And uh, I've been their minister of music now for 10 years, and um, we have a, um, a new pastor that just arrived from Scotland. He because of the pandemic, he had to pastor. Uh, he was called and hired while he was uh, over uh, in Europe. And he just arrived here a few weeks ago after pastoring remotely for over a year because of this pandemic. Um, but Is this Scottish? Church, no, he's African-American. He's originally oh. from here. Uh, I say, and, you know, I mean, uh, me, the, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm the Scottish guy. I'd be like, well, that's pretty cool having a Scottish bloke down there at your... Uh, your church like that, you know. Um, well, you'll be happy to know that, uh, according to my D, my ancestry DNA, I'm seven percent Scottish. Seven, apparently, seven percent Scottish. Oh, far and I out, even man! Bought a square meter of land, as they all do, and I am now Lord uh, Aaron Myers of Olgenmore or something of that nature. Uh, so I'm going to do a photo shoot to celebrate that for my birthday in July. Uh, but no, Covenant Baptist UCC is. A welcoming and affirming church. Actually, we helped lead the way uh, for um, the thought of marriage equality uh, within the faith uh, sector uh, here in Washington, D.C. And um, we also were facilitators with the HRC's safe space uh, program they had for religious leaders who wanted to have those safe space conversations. Uh, but ironically, the history of social justice within that church, you know, the Stevie Wonder song, Happy Birthday, Happy Birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. He you, did it in you're honor not bobbing your that. head like Stevie Wonder does. Oh, I'm happy yeah, birthday there, there, there we go. Okay, yeah, very go, good. You know? okay. Um, but he, um, uh, he debuted that at that church. It was in honor, of course, of uh, the MLK holiday that John Conyers helped to get passed. So uh, he debuted that song at Covenant Baptist uh, UCC, um, or at least sang it there for the parade uh, as they celebrated uh, the, the new Martin Luther King Day that had been passed by Congress. So um, that church has a steep history. They also, the former pastor, uh, uh, pastors, uh, uh, Pastor Dennis Wiley and his uh, wife, also Pastor Christine Wiley. Um, pastor Dennis Wiley was one of the first preachers in the 80s who would uh, baptize uh, those people living with HIV and AIDS. Um, and um, it was a um, testament to uh, 
his inclusivity and love that he felt even then. And so the church is open and firm. So if you if you're ever in D.C., um, right now we're on Zoom because we believe in science, too, and we don't want to endanger the life of anyone. Um, and um, we you're welcome to join us that way. Uh, well, next time I roll through town, I, we're, we're going to go get a drink and go and uh, I'll probably I'll happily go to one of your your church services, too. Um, yes. Uh, so you've managed to hold on to hope a lot. I could tell that in in your work. But, um, you know, for me, I'm the guy who, you know, lost faith, all of that, because not not just because of, you know, my learned understanding whatever but because christians were such pricks you know um christianity has a very bad name and the teachings of jesus and christianity they kind of parted ways quite some time ago and so it's it's very hard when i see how it's been the last several years especially um that christianity has taken on this image of just you know, being awful, just terrible people and how they how they are to each other and anybody who is different than them and whatnot. So to see a church like yours, it is that affirming, um, especially like you said, for the the black queer space that um, doesn't have as much visibility as well, even in, in, in both circles, you know. Uh, so I think that's a wonderful place to be, even though I'm not a believer anymore. I still think if people can go there and find hope and come in touch with, you know, inspiration to be better people, Hey, you know, more power to you, you know, uh, that's great for people to be able to go and do that. Um, yeah, you know, um, we, um, it's one of the few spaces I've been in where, um, one of the shining gems of that, uh, church is their food bank, uh, that they offer for the community. And um, they just launched this program where um, through their nonprofit arm uh, to help those people. They're teaching classes on how to administer uh, the drug. So for like when people uh, overdose from heroin, the life-saving drug. Maxillone, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So they're doing the um, classes on how to administer uh, that. Uh, They offer a conversation center. Uh, they do HIV and AIDS testing as well. Um, they do some guidance around uh, living with uh, diabetes. They are heart healthy church as well. Um, and then our uh, Pink Faith Sunday, that which uh, deals with, um, um, with those who have lived with and uh, who have either succumbed to or are fighting the battle of uh, breast cancer. Uh, they even uh, do spaces where they uh, focus on families and people who have uh, or victims of violent crime. Um, the, the 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 level of mindfulness that I have learned over the last 10 years just by being associated, uh, I think for me just surpasses the faith aspect of it. It just, uh, it's, it's more uh, closely aligned to what I like to call just being a good human uh, while we're sharing this lump of dirt called earth. And um, uh, one thing they do, we do pride ourselves in um, is ensuring that you don't check your brain at the door that you come in with all of your senses and that you're respected for whatever identity you choose to be, however you choose to do that. So, um, you know, being, you know, Mormon and here in Utah, the, the amount of tolerance here could be measured with a magnifying glass. Um, (laughs) I just made that up actually. That's pretty good. (laughs) Um, 
but there's the uh, not not going too deep into the into the history of Mormonism, but they 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 split and uh, over a hundred and some odd years ago, 150 years ago, they split, and the one group followed Brigham Young, who was Donald Trump with a bad beard. Uh, to Utah and set up their, you know, their situation here. But the, the other group stayed out there in, in Missouri and in Illinois, and they called themselves the reorganized LDS church. And they've gone through several iterations of the name and that, but they are a church that believes solely in the basic tenements of Mormonism and a very just and ethical God. And it's really funny in such a, for, for us, we have this very patriarchal, pure white wonder bread leadership in the Mormon church. And then I go to this church and there, there are still six of them here in Utah. So here in the RLDS church or the community of Christ, they have the, the Bishop is a woman. She's up there in a tank top and tattoos. It's wonderful. And uh, there, there was, the, they have the LGBTQ outreach coordinator and she's in a tank top and has this purple mohawk and she's just beautiful. I'm like, I love this, you know, and I, I, I hope that if, if there's any strain of Mormonism to survive, it would be that. I think that um, I didn't grow up. I tell people all the time, I did not grow up necessarily hearing um, a lot of bashing of the LGBT community because they're, to my knowledge growing up, I did not see them. They, they were not present, which is even more frightening uh, that as I've gotten older, I know that they were definitely around and present. However, th they had fallen into the social norm of being very silent and being very quiet. And that even in a place where it's designed for you to, for it to be a safe space for you, you did not feel safe, even with your loved ones. And that's what people... I think tend to forget is that when you have grown up in any community of faith or non-faith, uh, any group that you are close to, uh, and you find yourself frightened to be your authentic self because you'll lose the people that you've grown to love. Um, and you don't have faith in their own humanity or you don't have faith in their capacity to love you as you are. It's a very scary place to reside. Uh, and I think that as we've gone into the 21st century, especially here in 2021, I don't think we have to uh, to uh, inflict that same pain as a type of ritual or, or a rite of passage to these younger people who are not having to deal with any uh, of that in the extent that we did. And I'm hoping that more churches, regardless of the schisms or the different ways one chooses to believe or express one's belief in Christ or Yahweh or uh, Allah or whomever, um, that you'll find more purple-haired, uh, LGBT, uh, uh, mohawked women uh, who are doing outreach, you know, because that is a beautiful, oh, yeah. it's a, no, be it's it's a great, beautiful yeah. space to reside in when you are not required as a tenet of your faith to hate someone. It's a beautiful space to be in. And a lot of times I have found even in jazz uh, and even in other forms of entertainment uh, where people even use the, uh, the exclusionary uh, aspect of faith and religion to excuse their behavior and being um, 
less than tolerant or not being tolerant in other genres of entertainment and or uh, or, or even in the workplace. Um, we saw uh, the lady who would not uh, issue the marriage license because she said her faith would not allow her to do so. And I'm so glad today that I can at least be associated with a faith that does not require me to step on anyone else's rights, beliefs, or happiness in order for me to be one with whatever it is that I believe that I think we all are still trying to figure out. Well, I, I, I just a quick anecdote. When I lived in Boston, um, I had a friend who was, you know, he was up there and when I was at church and he was giving his, his presentation, he was talking about how, you know, he, he's trying his best. God doesn't want him to hate anybody. You know, we should love all like Jesus said and all that. And I, I raised my hand and I said, <laughs> well, what about the Yankees? <laughs> Said, oh, God wants me to hate those guys. God, God wants me to hate those guys, right? So, um, so uh, your song "How Can I," right? That one was very, very powerful. Again, this the subject matter on this new record is far more moving. I wouldn't say the subject, but the delivery of it is far more moving and powerful than what you gave us on on the last album. And you warned me that this was going to happen. You said, "Oh wait, yeah, this is going to be heavier." And but yeah, please talk about that one. I the, mean, um, that how, was powerful. How can I, that. Go it, ahead, talk about that for a second. Was literally written on my couch as I was turning off of um, CNN, out of being completely gobsmacked that the pundits and the conversations that they were having did not consider um, the human toll of stress and mental angst put on people of color uh, and marginalized people. And I was trying to express to my roommate what I was, my frustration, and how can I put words to say uh, the pain, the hurt, the anxiety I'm feeling each and every day, you know? You know, how or how can I walk out that door knowing that maybe I'll return no more? And then immediately seeing visions of my people dying and my sisters crying. And, oh, I just, I just kind of just like, bleh. it was one continual stream of thought. Uh, and then in the, 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 the I guess, the, the, the main uh, chorus, that happens there, it just, you know, tell me how, and then show me how, and then teach me how to just be me. Because all of the things that we're discussing when it comes to privilege, when it comes to um, 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 uh, the idea or the notion of being marginalized uh, to begin with, these are human lives. And what's being marginalized is their personhood which means that I have to get on stage and entertain. I write books and hoping that people will be able to read the words that are on the page all the while fearing for my life in a way that will never be experienced by someone who does not share um, my skin color and the intensity and the frequency that I share it. So um, I, 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 I sing, I, I write, I entertain, um, but I entertain from a space of just not 
knowing or never experiencing what it's like to be my own authentic 100% self without the danger of myself being marginalized, othered, or my life literally being in danger. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, I don't know if you know the band Chumbawamba. Uh, probably not. They, they, you know, they were one of those one hit wonders. They were called. Yeah, they did yeah, that song. Yeah. I get knocked down, but I get up again. You're never going to keep right. So, okay, I'm an anarchist. They're anarchists. Uh, the guitarist was actually raised Mormon, and you know, I know those guys. But uh, at a press conference once, they, I mean, they, not press conference, but they're on a chat show, and uh, Agnes. Sorry, Alice, Alice Nutter. What a name, right? Alice Nutter. She actually said, look, you're assuming that you, you just go this for just, just foregone conclusion that everybody is equal, but pretending that they are, but making every effort to keep them from being that way. Right. And she said that on British television about how people are marginalized. You know, she's talking about the LGBTQ community and also ethnic groups. She's like, you know, you're saying that everybody's equal and that's lip service because what you're really doing is everything you can to keep them from being seen as equal like you. And I thought that was pretty gutsy how she just said that to the talk show host. Like she was calling him out, but you know, uh, they're, <laughs> they were, life's too short to not be honest. Um, I remember, and again, as you and I talked about this before, like I grew up out in Herndon, Virginia, and my school was half white, half everybody else, Indonesian, black, you know, whatever. And so I never understood it because that was just my neighbors, my friends, the kids I played with and everything. And I, I had to learn racism from a very different point of view when they said yeah you know you couldn't robbie couldn't come to school with you because he's black and i thought why you know he's you know, and and so then that was exactly how i should have learned it right i should have learned it that way because it just infuriated me but uh when i've heard so many times again i'm just a guy with privilege but and and you and I have, have covered this before and everybody else, they say the same thing. You know, when I was when I was given the talk, it was, you know, you're going to get this tingling below your belt when Belinda Carlisle's videos are on MTV. <laughs> that was the talk for me. Right. For you, the talk was well, that yes. too. But Both there was talks. the other talk that you had. And I find that to be such a shameful thing that it even has to happen. Not having the first talk, uh, we think of the epidemic of HIV and AIDS, for instance, how much that epidemic did not have to be an epidemic if just proper education and those talks, first of all, were given uh, in the proper context. I remember my, my talk came from a coach. I was in sixth grade, I believe, and it was a coach. We went downstairs in the gym and he said, all right, boys. You know, the girl's going to be a little bit more sensitive nowadays. I'm sure you noticed that. So y'all quit popping those bras. Don't quit popping the bras. And some of you could stand to use some deodorant. And then that was it. Um, we went and played dodgeball, I believe, afterwards. But then the talk about what could happen, I never will forget. The movie Rosewood came out. Mother wouldn't let us watch Mississippi Burning. But Rosewood came out. And some friends and I 
watched it at my home and it infuriated us beyond infuriated us um and they used to do a thing in my small town we used to drag bane that meant that all these cars would come and we drive this big old circle you know <laughs> yeah 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 we did in texas and my mother locked the door and refused to let us leave because she knew that our anger which and hurt which was justified she didn't want it to cost us our life but i was reminded that i had um some white friends growing up and i would go i would like to go and spend the night at their homes you know they lived literally walking distance it was four of us who lived in the neighborhood uh in the same grade and the first time i was going to do this my grandmother told me the story of how a, a little boy that her mother played with um had gone to pick peaches and on his way back home um this white woman accused him of looking at her or something of that nature and they uh picked him up and then they um castrated him and he died and she told me this before i had to go and spend the night with these white people and i was like why would you tell me that and it was almost as if they were trying to express to me the true extent of danger unawarely that I could be put in. Um, and they were just simply sharing out of love their own experiences. And I remember when I was, um, I think I was in fourth or fifth grade, fourth grade, I believe. I was walking with two of my white friends to school and there was a part of the road where the sidewalk had gone and it was just grass. And this white man stepped out on his lawn and he said, yeah, I don't know if I can say this. He said, y'all get that nigga off my lawn. And they said, well, we're walking, sir. We're walking. And so we walked on. And that stayed with me, I think, all week. There was never a day I would go into the, the bathroom at school or somewhere and you people do the graffiti and they get bored on the toilet and so they write on the stall. And there's always the N-word or some coon or something of that nature written somewhere around. So you couldn't even take a crap in public without seeing this insensitive stuff. And you learn to just deal with it and smile. And you just learn to smile. And just uh, people ask you, how are you? I'm okay. I'm fine. And you try to put your pain in the music. You try to put the understanding in your writing. You try to put and channel some of the frustration in your acting when you're doing and when I'm on stage. Um, you try to find levity on the radio when you're hosting and this, that, and the other, uh, doing your live shows. And you try to, and it's almost as if we push this pain so deep down in our spirit that when it does erupt, it erupts in a way that affects our physical, mental, emotional health uh, uh, so much so that uh, we can't return to a normal because once you have gotten used to expressing what that pain feels like, you don't want to put the cap back on the bottle. You want the pain to stop. You want it to stop. And this album it was meant to deal with the frustration of, um, I, I, I had to do a um, interview, um, I guess uh, not too long after George Floyd's um, murder. And 
in doing so, um, I had to do it in person. And I had been quite nervous about getting out and around people during this pandemic because my Facebook page turned into an obituary page all of a sudden. Family members dying, friends that I knew dying from the pandemic. And we saw how heavy this pandemic impacted that African-American community and people of color. And so I um, had to meet with this gentleman and his uh, communications director looked at me and said, oh, she said, you know, I haven't even known anybody to have gotten sick. I don't I don't think this is really all that bad. And I said, no, I, my cousins died and I've, I've been sick with it. And a lot of friends have passed away. And it was completely, completely clear to me that my human pain and the pain emotionally that I had I dealt with had clearly been on her peripheral and the peripheral of so many people. And I hoped originally when I wrote the book, White People Talking to White People, that I could take that pain and put it, move it from their peripheral to their purview. And with this particular album, I wanted to speak through this music for a segment of people who've experienced the loss of love, the loss of dignity, uh, the loss of friends and family, being frightened and scared, but somewhat being hopeful too. I wanted to just to know that we are not uh, we are we are complex beings who have uh, a myriad of feelings, and that during this time I have been frightened. During this time I have been scared. During this time I've been confused. During this time I've been hurt and angry and just simply mad. But there have been moments in this time where I've wanted and yearned for love, and there have been times when I've wanted and yearned. Uh, for companionship. Um, I lost my relationship at the beginning of this pandemic. Um, there have been times in this when I've been gleeful and hopeful and happy. Uh, but then there have also been times when I've just been so lost. And I just felt in my heart of hearts, I cannot be alone in feeling this way. There's no way I can be alone in feeling this way. So um, I know my book is coming out on the 10th of June, um, um, By the Way, B.I., The Way, Tall Tales and Lessons Learned. And I wanted to express what that uh, felt like of uh, having to come out as a bi person almost every year. Uh, we are the least, we're the redheaded stepchildren of the LGBT, as a bi people are. Uh, we're the ones that nobody wants to invite to the party. I would say the other numbers. You, you don't get visibility. Get, bisexual men are the least visible in the queer community. Um, well, you, my buddy Jim and I talked about that, right? When, and uh, he actually said, you know, this is bisexual uh, visibility day. I, said, I didn't know that. I see you. I, it was a joke. Cause I couldn't, we we're just on the phone. Right. Um, but uh, that was something that again, it was, I mean, the porn industry makes bisexual women somehow more visible or acceptable. But in, in your case, you know, there you are, you're, I mean, yeah, you talked about being in the military and how it was a don't ask, don't tell thing. And you, you made it through that, but uh, I mean, that, that would, that would have been hard enough. I would think having been in the military and having gone through that, but now you're, you're out of the military, you're there being you as your authentic self and you still aren't able to be seen as who you are. I mean, I could, but again, I can look at you and say, he's a black man. He's a man of, he's a person of color or whatever, but I can't tell that you're gay. I can't tell if someone's bisexual by looking at them. 
okay, some gay guys I can look and go, oh yeah, you know, <laughs> that's, you know, my daughter will see them and go, uh, I, I was at a, a, a movie theater a while back and my daughter just says, that guy's gay. And I got really mad at her. And I said, you know, there's nothing wrong with being gay. There's nothing wrong with me. Why did you say that? And she said, because you're smoking hot. And um, that was one of those moments where I realized I had probably failed as a father, you know. But uh, so, but it, it, I look at this and it, and I wish that, um, yeah, I, I wish that there is that side of the queer community that gets more visibility you have as much respect it's just not as much visibility and um i hope that you know again as things keep changing you know as we keep moving forward with black lives matter and with you know the the hopefully we can somehow shed this ignorance that we've pasted on ourselves the last several years but i want to let you know yes i see you and my friends see you and I, I, I wish that it was just as equal, I guess, you know, and that, that's a, that's the right thing for me to, to think. There's the right way to put it. I think that all things to be equal. I don't think I've ever said this publicly. Um, for a number of years, people talk about the notion of being down low. Um, I, I don't, believe I fell into that category. I just didn't do certain things. However, I felt that my sexuality made me tainted to be with women and that it was a stain upon my being and that it was something that I would have to protect a woman from if I were to ever be with a woman. And my prayers would always be, or always start with, I'm sorry. And they never would begin, as they do now, simply with thank you. And so I don't think that people in the LGBT community specifically by I can only speak from my experience as a black bi man. Um, no one ever communicated to me what was okay, how was it, how to maneuver, how to how to approach somebody you really liked and told them the truth of who you were, and not feel as if you were being that you were dropping a nuclear bomb on what could potentially be a happy start to something. No one ever, no one ever, no one ever, um, there was no examples of that done in a healthy way in media uh, for me to see. Um, and then when I add would add the layer of faith with it, it was always the piece of something that you were praying that would go away or you would you be freed from and you wanted to be freed from it uh, because you did not want to lose your sense of community, A, but then top of that, you didn't want to have to have those conversations. We forget, it's only been since 2010 since the idea of how we approach these topics have been much more freeing 
and uh, safe, uh, safe, filled with a safe space. That is, um, it's, it's only been the last ten to eleven years. I have feared that in times, uh, at least according to my therapist, that I have taken a piece of the trauma that we experienced beforehand into what could have been healthy relationships because I was waiting for the shoe to drop, for that person to say, I knew it is because you're bi, it's the reason why we can't be happy or together. And um, sometimes you sing certain, I would sing certain songs at jazz clubs and it would be filled, um, I mean, to the brim of people, um, but they had no idea the pain that I was singing through, the confusion I was singing through. Um, I felt so, I felt so, uh, I felt put in a very precarious place in 2019 when I had to do my tour in Russia and I, the HRC had asked me if I'd be on the welcome committee, I believe, of the new president who was the first African-American man to lead that organization. And I asked if that would be on the host committee, that is. And I asked them if they would not publicly um, announce my participation because I was preparing in less than a week's time to be in Russia. And Russia has a very difficult uh, and complicated track record when it comes to the issues of human rights. Um, and many people in the LGBT community have not been safe in Russia. And I did not want to put myself or my audience in danger because of that. Although I said I would support, as soon as I get back, you can put it out. But even then, um, I had to question if um, I was I was hired to do the gig because they did not know or they had not done certain due diligence. I wasn't sure. It just sucks sometimes having to navigate through these very complicated waters um, when all you want to do is be yourself authentically without the fear of harm to you or the people who love you, still in 2021. Well, that was Mr. Bojangles. Yeah. And, I mean, sir, I, I miss Sammy. I I was shocked when I found out that Sammy Davis Jr. was bisexual. And, yeah, you know, and Richard Pryor. Yeah, he used to date. Oh, I didn't know he Marlon was. No. Oh, okay. I believe it was Marlon Brando he dated. I'm not, I, I believe it was. There's the documentary that's preparing to come out about that, but he's, yeah. Because I remember Sammy Davis Jr. was just the most, just charming, wonderful, you know, he was just a terrific guy. And, you know, I mean, it, as, as crazy as the world was around Frank Sinatra and all of that, he, he went to bat and he fought for Sammy on every front that he could. And yeah. Yeah. You, know, you gotta love the guy for, for all that he did there. But I, I wish that I'm, I'm sitting here wondering, like, you know, again, I'm the straight guy, white guy from privilege and how hard it must've been then for Sammy Davis Jr. That he had to go to Europe to be himself authentically and, you know, here you are, Washington, D.C., and, you know, maybe we'll get there one day. But uh, I I know, I mean, 
I, I told you about my friend Doug Locke, <laughs> uh, the guy he does that Black Travolta, right? You know, he's a fabulous gay black man who plays just funky, cool rock and roll country, you know. And he he played Jimi Hendrix in a in a short film and all that. And but you know he he was the same thing. And he and I we we've talked a lot about that and how. Um, you know, the world is still not ready to accept everybody the way that you guys really are. And I, you know, hey, every year on National, you know, Bisexual Men Recognition Day, Visibility Day, (laughs) I'm there for you, you know. But again, I I have no tact, right? Like at one point, this was was the worst thing I ever did. No, it's not the worst thing I ever did in my life, but it's close. Yes. I was at, uh, you know, Tony Robbins, right? I was at a Tony Robbins-like thing called the Landmark Forum, and I was talking to this guy and everything, and it's a very, you know, self-awareness, you know, self-help thing. And this guy, he's talking to me, and he's like, you know, and he tells me that he's gay. And I just said, well, I don't give a shit, right? And he, it didn't come across right, apparently. And and he walked off looking kind of hurt. And someone came up and said, why are we being a dick to him? I was like, what are you talking about? Oh, my God. He came out to you. I was like, oh, shit. Oh, oh, man. So so I had to go over and I'm like, look, dude, look, I I acknowledge. I apologize. Did you give him a hug? Did you give him a hug? Oh, I did. Yeah, yeah, I've seen him since. I I saw him at Pride a couple years back, went and gave him a hug. You know, we talked, had a Pepsi together, all that. But I was embarrassed that I had heard him like that. Just by going like, man, I don't care. Like, like hell if I care, right? And whoa, just bad. But, you know, he was, <laughs> it's just that way. And I, I know I probably, I I apologize to him. We were all good. Yep. But um, we're coming up on time here. I just wanted to, oh, there's so much about the music here. Um, what is the one song you want me to play us out with? Uh, I mean, I, I, I just... Before I'll be a slave, I'll be buried in my grave. All those heavy lyrics. I mean, I can't pick which song I want to play of yours to play us out with. So, you know, please take care of you for me. Okay, I'll play us out with that, everybody. And one last thing, fire off the message to anybody in your shoes who's afraid to come out. I can tell you now that you don't need anyone else's permission to do so. You do not need anyone's permission to be who you are authentically uh, and know that as you are coming out and as you're planning to do so, more of the world is behind you and supporting you than are against you. Okay. Aaron Myers, everybody. Thank you for your time again. It's good to talk. And I do want to get the book. That's right. By the way, B.I. The Way, Tall Tales and Lessons Learned. You can pre-order it on Amazon now. And it comes out June 10th, which would have been my grandparents' 70, I'm sorry, my grandparents' 81st wedding anniversary. They were born and uh, married in 1940 on June 10th. So the book comes out June 10th. By the way, Tall Tales and Lessons Learned. And the album is already out, available on all streaming platforms. And the visual album you can see for free on YouTube, the Pride Album official video. Okay, and what's the website on that? Oh, Aaron, I'm sorry, just go to my website, www.aaron, A-A-R-O-N, the number two, dot me, M-E, Aaron two dot me. Okay. All right, everybody, we're playing this one out. Please take care, and uh, 
everybody else. Take care, be good to each other, and let music do awesome in your lives. Tomorrow and the things that didn't happen somehow. The need appears too great, too great for me to bear. To help all that I can, I can maybe too late. So please take care of me. Of me for you. Hold on, just you wait and see. Together, love will bring us through. I listen to the news to turn it off again, knowing there's nothing else I can do. I try to find the answers, but only find the problems, and it seems there is no one to turn to. The need of Too great for me to help To help all that I can And I can maybe too late So please take care of you for me And I'll take care of me Just you wait and see Together love will bring us through The most I can give is my love My love is all that I can give And if you lend me love I know together
everybody and uh, this is please take care of you for me off of uh, his piece called the pride album it is a fantastic great jazz piano record oh, wow this was a good one um, so in the meantime everybody please all the lgbtq wonderful people out there give yourself a hug everybody go find somebody else to hug it's uh it's a month where we all need that and uh, if I'm just going to do this right now. Everybody, if you want to go and hear a crazy great record, I'm just going to plug for this. Uh, I, I got it from him a few weeks ago, and it's just a delightful album as well. I'm just going to say this at the end. Go and look up. Uh, it's called Total Dragon Pop by Kanan Dufty. Uh, it's his solo record outside of the uh, Slinky Vagabond project, and he's got Earl Slick, who's David Bowie's guitarist, and John Lennon's guitarist, and, and, and Slick's been everywhere. Anyway, go check that album out. And in the meantime, everybody, please take care. We love you.